lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota, and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Well, in today's show, I'm concluding my three-part series about the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling held in and around Washington, D.C. at the end of this past June. And today, I'll be joined by fellow garden bloggers Terry Spate of the blog Cottage in the Court, Joanne Shaw of the blog Down to Earth, that's down and then the number two, earth.ca, because she's from Canada, and then Tracy Blevins of plantsmap.com. In today's episode, we will be reviewing day three of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling, and day three was focused on gardens in rural areas outside of the D.C. area. So we'll be reviewing wonderful private and public gardens in areas like the Plains, Virginia, Middleburg, Virginia, Hamilton, and Vienna, Virginia. And as with day two, most of these gardens are from private homeowners with a passion for gardening, and others were the personal gardens created by professional landscape designers. And it's always such a treat to see the gardens that they create and tend for themselves as professionals. Now, we also stopped at the chair of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling, Tammy Schmidt's Suburban Garden, the famed Maryfields Garden Center, and the Stone Tower Winery with views of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Terry, Joanne, Tracy, and I had a lovely chat about all of these venues, and it's coming up after an update on the listener community for the show and this week's Garden News Roundup. But first, of course, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for listening to the Still Growing Podcast this week. And especially if you've just found the show, I want to welcome you and thank you for being here. And then, of course, as I do each week, I'd like to encourage you to listen to a number of gardening podcasts. Just create a playlist that's full of gardening podcasts and you'll be set to go. It's such a great way to grow and learn as a gardener. Also, I have something new and exciting to share with you this week. I'm launching a number of three-month mastermind opportunities that will be starting up in September. Now, one is geared toward garden communicators, garden bloggers, podcasters, writers, or content creators. And then the other group is for industry professionals, landscape designers, greenhouse growers, and nursery owner operators looking to grow their business. So if you're interested in either of those opportunities, just head over to my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, 
FTMAMA.com and look for the tab that says work with me for more information. Now, I've shared this with many of my peers that one of the most productive things that I do for myself every week is to participate in a mastermind. In fact, I'm in two of them every single week. And it's really helpful for me when I get stuck. I know that I have these amazing groups that I can go to for support and advisement. And whatever rut I'm in, whatever lack of information or know-how or mindset is holding me back, those two masterminds I'm committed to participating in make all the difference. And I'm going to find solutions just by being in those two groups. In fact, a recent Forbes article shared seven reasons why a mastermind might be right for you. And here's the list of benefits. Here's what they said. First of all, you get membership in an instant exclusive community. And I love that part. I'm with a small group of folks that want to learn more and they're driven. Other benefits include advisement and collaboration, expanding your network, your base of support, And then rounding out the list are things like new learning, bigger thinking, or even cross-promotion. Masterminds are an incredible way to maximize your professional and personal growth. And if you're interested and you want to learn more, just head over to my website at sixfootmama.com and then click on work with me for more information. And then you can begin to determine if this is the right opportunity for you. Now, I just want to say there are a few reasons why there is an application. One is just so I can learn more about you and start to think about what group might be best for you because the best masterminds happen when they are thoughtfully created. There's a little magic that happens here. I don't just want to throw people together in groups. And then also building a group of highly committed people. And in that sense, it's kind of like forming a family. Anyway, it's really fun fun to be in a mastermind. And whether you mastermind with me or not, I just want to encourage you to be in a mastermind because they'll change your business or whatever your area of focus is. They help you stay on track. They hold you accountable and they make you feel like you're part of something. So I definitely encourage you guys to do that. If you're interested in being part of a professionally facilitated mastermind with me at the helm, I would love to mastermind with you. And I hope to meet you in one of my groups starting in September. All right. I'd also like to invite you to join the listener community for the show. The listener community is a free private Facebook group that I host for listeners of the show. And these folks are made up of gardeners of all skill levels and locations. And you can find it on Facebook by typing the name of our group into the search bar. Just search for Still Growing Podcast Group. And then the listener community will show up at the top of the search results on Facebook. Now, there are a number of benefits that you enjoy by joining the group. And the first and I think best benefit is that you have access to all of the garden articles that I curate for you because they just populate in your Facebook feed. You'll see them just show up. 
In fact, one of the ways you can make what you see on Facebook more customized to your interests is to join groups on Facebook that focus on topics you're interested in. So if you'd like to see more helpful posts about gardening, then by all means, join the listener community for the show. The listener community is also the only place I go to pick lucky listeners for any of the show giveaways. And of course, you have the opportunity to interact with the great guests that have been on the show. In fact, I think all of the garden bloggers that have joined me on this series have joined the group, which is fantastic. They're wonderful resources for gardeners. And I hope you take a second to familiarize yourself with their work as garden bloggers because they all do such a great job. And then finally, I just want to reassure you that there's no spam in the group. The content that I share with the listener community is something I work very hard to make sure is helpful and worth your time. Everything I post is curated with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. Plus, it's free and easy to join. So the next time you're at Facebook, just type in Still Growing Podcast Group into the search bar and our group will pop right up and you can request to join and then we'll admit you into the group. Well, it's time to welcome new members to the listener community. And this week, I welcome Britta JV, Rob Schmidt, Wendy Doherty, Regina Stutzman, Joshua Pittendrig, Sarah Greenfield, Susan Farrell, Stephen Michael Hopper, Gina Oborn, Shar Eli, Ginger McNichol, John Brian Silverio, Amber Munig, Kevin Shore, Mary Coster, Marie Michael John, Sandy Crumpton Heron, John Murray, Melissa Van Zeeland, and Marie Tomini. I'd like to wish all of you a warm welcome to our group. And with that, let's go through the listener community update. There were a number of beautiful pictures and videos of listeners' gardens this week. Listener Dwayne Thompson shared a great video of his garden and then a photo of his son gardening with a friendly visitor. That was so great. I love pictures like that. Sue Luftig shared a picture of her favorite spot in her garden. That was beautiful. There's a little birdhouse by some horse fencing and daisies. Just a very happy little spot. Sarah Ladd showed pictures of her harvest time and then asked the community for their thoughts on how to harvest broccoli and dill. It was her first time growing them. Listener Craig Thompson responded that with dill, of course, you can harvest the leaves whenever you like. Dill is one of my favorite things to grow. And then Patricia Chandler Newport advised that with broccoli, you need to cut it when the little buds look like small grains of rice or before you see any yellow flowers begin to open. And then, of course, With the dill, she said, you either cut it small for the leaves or you wait until the seeds form and turn brown. Depends on what you're using the dill for. Pickles use the seeds. Other things such as meat you season, typically with the leaves in herbal form. And then Carla Deanna pointed out that she thought the broccoli photo showed that it was just a little late on the harvesting there. She said, cut it now. 
and refrigerate if you're not ready to cook it. When you start seeing yellow like that, it's getting ready to open the flowers. It will still be delicious. Cut it fairly close to the broccoli head and new little side shoots will grow out of the angles where the leaf comes off the stem. You can get many smaller harvests this way in addition to the main head. Great advice, you guys. Listener Sue Luftig shared a gorgeous picture of her garden, and then I chuckled because she wrote, Yep, guilty of overplanting again. My daughter asked me, Mom, what were you thinking? And I chuckled because there are so many of us that can relate to that, especially at this point in the season. When you see something at the garden center and you just have to have it, and then you get home and you realize, oh my goodness, where am I going to put this plant? And then I laughed because listener Brian Jones chimed in. He said, I've never heard of the term overplanting. And Barb O'Brien wrote, isn't that an oxymoron, overplanting? And then not to be outdone, listener Sarah Ladd shared a picture of her garden and she wrote, me too. Anyway, I think we can all relate. Listener Philip Busili shared gorgeous pictures from his garden and a quote from Alan Armitage saying, Gardening simply does not allow one to be mentally old because too many hopes and dreams are yet to be realized. Listener Spencer Hoadley shared a picture of his gladiola and he wrote, My family used to grow around 3,000 gladiolas to sell at local florists and at the local farmer's market. This is my first year actually growing my own. That's pretty darn special. And then I wrote that Joel Karsten, the pioneer of straw bale gardening, has gotten so many reports from gladiola growers who are thrilled with the straw bale gardening method. And when they're done cutting their gladiolas for the year, they kick the bale over and all of the new gladiola bulbs just fall right out of the bale. So gladiola growers love to straw bale garden. And then listener Beth Engel wrote that her family had a history of growing salary. So it was really fun when she had a chance to try it herself. And that's one of the very best parts of gardening, when you get to continue a part of your family's history right in your very own garden. There's nothing better. Danny Perkins shared a great photo of his tomatoes. He's growing the chocolate pear variety. They looked fantastic. Tanya Peel, who was on one of our Garden Blogger Fling episodes, wrote that she's growing a yellow pear that's also very delicious. Danny also shared a video of his sulfur cosmos. They're orange in color, and they were blowing violently in the wind as a storm was coming to his garden this week. And then finally, Danny also shared a wonderful post about his old-fashioned marigolds. And he wrote this. These old-fashioned marigolds were grown from seed in a small corner of my garden. Unless my memory fails me, it has been over 50 years since I helped my dad sow these in his garden. It's not good to forget old friends. I should plant more next year. These marigolds were very pretty. And Barclow asked, is this the Cracker Jacks variety? And Danny said, they are, Anne. Listener Rosemary Delane agreed. She said, I have some that are over 50 years back in the family that I know of mine are smaller plants this growing season and late to bloom, but they're so great to see. 
Listener Heidi Bertels shared a beautiful picture of her zinnias, and here's what she wrote. Now that I know how to cut the zinnias the right way, I had a great first harvest, and I made a few arrangements to give away. And then, of course, she supplements her arrangements with a few other flowers from around her garden. And then, of course, as a follow-up to this... Listener Penny Hebbard asked, what's the correct way to cut them? And Heidi replied, I find the long stem, cut it close to the crown of the plant, and although it means sacrificing growth along the long stem, the long flowers are wonderful for arranging. And then Heidi followed up with a great video simply called Where to Make the First Cut on a Zinnia. And it's from thegardenersworkshop.com. Very nice. Then listener LaVon Hamelman shared a photo of her lettuce and she wrote A Little Lettuce Love. And the variety is Brune Percheron from Adaptive Seeds in Oregon. And LaVon wrote, it's loving its lemon cucumber and Chantilly Snapdragon companions. It's a very pretty little lettuce. And I looked it up on the Adaptive Seeds website. And here's what they wrote about it. An apple green butterhead tinged with red pink blush. And it really does have that adorable little blush factor. Early big heavy heads grow well in difficult conditions that are heat resistant. An old variety known in Europe since around 1907, most recently preserved from extinction by the seed-saving groups Cocopelli in France and Pro Specie Rara in Switzerland. And then they acquired that variety from the former during their 2007 Seed Ambassadors trip. So that's an interesting little history about that particular lettuce. Listener Kathleen Brown Bonafonte shared kind of a sad story. She's suffering from garden discouragement because she had to pull all of her squash and zucchini plants due to the bugs that were eating them all up. But she decided to focus on the things that make her happy, the marvel and the wonder of pollinators. And then she shared all of the gorgeous pollinators, all of the wonderful butterflies she has visiting her garden. And on an exciting happy note, she posted an update, a four-week update on her free goji berry plant that she had gotten from her local nursery. It was looking so sad when she got it, but she transplanted it and gave it some TLC and she's totally thrilled with the progress, and it looks fantastic. Garden blogger Tanya Peel shared an update on her garden, and she said that she currently has nine monarch butterfly caterpillars on her milkweed plant. And then she asked, does anyone in the group have their garden registered as a monarch way station? She hasn't gotten around to it yet. Anyway, this post got a ton of response. People were very excited about that. And a lot of folks were inspired to go and plant their own milkweed. And listener Alan Staley replied, I just found three newly hatched caterpillars too. I think I was more excited than my three-year-old. For listener plant IDs, Barb O'Brien shared a picture of a plant and it sure looked like a Hoya to me. And listener Leslie Clark clarified, it's the Hindu rope plant, which is a variety of Hoya. 
And then finally, for listener love, there were a number of listeners who discovered the show and then requested to join the listener community, the still growing podcast group. And this week, we want to send a special welcome to Virginia Gonzalez and Harold Thornbro. Both were very appreciative for joining the group, and I hope you guys are enjoying your time there. Listener Jan Bujan wrote that she tried the pesto recipe that was given in the Basil Mania episode episode and she loved it. It was delicious. And then I reminded her not to forget to try it cold as well because I think it's excellent cold. And then Jan also wrote that she was inspired by the Basil Mania episode and she started to propagate her own basil. So she had taken cuttings from her basil plants and she was now trying to grow them. Listener Craig Thompson wrote in that he did the same. He was propagating basil after the Basil Mania episode, too. He said it took his little basil starts about 10 plus days to develop roots but that his plants are now potted up and they're looking great. And then finally, there was a very nice post from listener Kim Wynette, and here's what she wrote. Dear Jennifer and all other listeners, I just wanted to let you know you reach people around the world. I'm an avid listener from Amsterdam. As Amsterdam is very, very crowded and gardens are practically non-existent, I am one of the lucky people with a 400 square meter allotment. I'm a keen gardener and stumbled across your podcast about one and a half years ago. I've been listening ever since, especially when I'm driving. It's so good, very informative and inspired and so well prepared. And though you are nothing like painter Bob Ross, I must say listening to you makes me relax to the max. Thank you so much. And Holland is a lot like Minnesota climate wise. Then she said, okay, winters are a little less cold. So maybe you'll find these pictures of my allotment garden inspiring. Lots of love from the Netherlands. Anyway, I shared this post with my husband. I said, hey, honey, check this out. Here's a nice post from a listener. And he has had so much fun calling me Bob Ross and sending me pictures of Bob Ross to tease me about this. So anyway, we've had a lot of fun with this one. But thank you, Kim, for those kind words. That was awesome. And I just want to share some of the incredible pictures that Kim had shared with us of her garden. And if gardens are as rare in Holland as Kim is telling us that they are, she really has quite the beautiful space. I'm sure she's the envy of a lot of people that come to visit her. Anyway, I'll just share some of the highlights here. She had a picture of some gorgeous Angelica, the biannual. Now, I have Angelica as well growing in my garden, but hers is a different variety, I think. Hers is the Sylvestris. And then also on Kim's property, she has these gorgeous 60-year-old pear trees. And incredibly, she wrote that she bought them from a farmer and replanted them in her garden. Can you believe that? I can't believe they withstood that transplanting. And then Kim shared a gorgeous wide shot of her garden. And then I'm such an ironwork hound that I said, oh, my gosh, my heart is stopping for that gate. She has this beautiful ironwork gate. And she wrote that she bought it in France 
in an antique warehouse in the south of France, and she just had to have it. So she put it on top of her tent as she came back from camping in the south of France. What a story. I love that. Anyway, she's got beautiful Menarda Jacob Klein growing in her garden. People loved the path. There were like over 50 people that fell completely head over heels with her garden. Ashley Holloway wrote, I love that everything is a bit wild in this garden. It looks so natural and beautiful. I think the listeners in the community were very inspired by Kim's gorgeous pictures. And I especially enjoyed receiving your wonderfully kind feedback, Kim. And my husband is so thankful for the humor that you gave us as well throughout the weekend. There was one point where we were sitting in the movie theater and my phone was going off and I glanced at my phone and here's a picture of Bob Ross and my husband had put a meme together and it said the face of still growing. So anyway, we had a ton of fun with this. So thank you very much, Kim. Ooh, and I almost forgot I was going to share one thing with you guys that I had shared in the listener community this past week, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned it on the show so that you could know as well. But did you know that you can listen to podcasts on your Echo Dot? You can. So if you have an Echo Dot or any type of Alexa, you can listen to podcasts. And so I shared this video showing how you do it. So I have my Echo Dot on my desk right now, and I'm just going to see if it'll do it for us. Here we go. Alexa, play the Still Growing Podcast. Can you guys hear that? And there you go. Alexa, stop. Isn't that cool? So if you have an Alexa, go ahead and have her play your podcast for you. It's kind of a fun little feature. Anyway, I just love the listener community for the show, as you can probably tell. It's fun for me to get a chance to interact with you. I get to see pictures of your garden and hear what's going on and things that you're wanting to learn more about and ideas for the show. I just so enjoy seeing all the posts from folks who share our passion for gardening and have a curiosity to learn more. So come hang out with us if you haven't joined the group yet. And it's completely free. It's so simple to be part of the group. The next time you're on Facebook, just type Still Growing Podcast Group into the search bar and request to join. And then we'll admit you into the group. And I look forward to meeting you in the listener community on Facebook. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can always call the show with any questions, comments, or suggestions you might have. The show has a phone number, and it's 865-333-GROW or 865-333-4769. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group, and it's made up of a dozen different segments, from updates on past guests to articles featuring fascinating folks in the world of horticulture that I'd love to chat with, and that's something I call the Dream Guest Segment. I also cover news and 
and information on special topic areas like sustainability and science. And then the other segments are really designed to honor the commitment of the show to helping you and your garden grow. And they are the how-to DIY segment, the continuing ed segment, the plant spotlight, shopping, recipes, inspiration, and quotables. Now, what's nice about this for you is that you can stay informed of the news in horticulture and gardening just by listening to this part of the show each week. And you can easily check out these curated articles and posts for yourself because I share all of it with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. So if you hear something and you want to read the full article, there's no need to take notes or track down links, just head on over to the group and join. All right, let's kick things off here with the guest update segment. And this week I'm featuring Pam Pennick, who is without a doubt the most prolific writer about the garden bloggers fling. And Pam was featured back in episode 555 because she's the author of the book, The Water Saving Garden. So if you're interested in learning how to conserve water in your garden this year, check out that episode. But Pam has written so many posts on the garden blog fling as she does every single year. This year, she started in reverse order. So she actually completed all of the posts about the gardens that are featured in day three, and then moved on to day two and day one. And she did an excellent job. So I encourage you to go check out her blog. Pam can be found at the blog called Digging. And I always just find her by Googling her name. So it's Pam and then Pennick, P-E-N-I-C-K. And it's a fantastic garden blog. But especially if there's a garden that we've talked about in the fling over this three-part series that we've done, you can definitely find out more information about every single one of these venues just by going to Pam's blog. In sustainability this week, Megan Shin wrote a wonderful article for hortmeg.com. And it was called this, Wilted Plants, How the Garden Uses and Loses Water. Pam would love this article, by the way. And I love how this article starts out. It says this, You know that wilted plants need water, but have you ever wondered how and why they wilt? Horticulture's gardening meteorologist Ed Brotick explained that plants release water through stomata, or leaf pores, a process called evapotranspiration. This release causes negative pressure that travels to the roots where it acts as suction that frees water molecules from soil particles. When a plant is releasing more water than it's able to draw up, it shuts down its pores, creating a loss of pressure that results in a limp, wilted appearance. So there you go, evapotranspiration. You learned something new today. By the way, try saying that three times fast. I think I had to record this like two or three times just to get that right. There were three posts that made the continuing ed segment this week. The first was from Apartment Therapy, and it had some design ideas. And the title of this post was called What to Do If You Have Just a Little Bit of Outdoor Space. And this post shared many beautiful images and ideas of things you can do in small outdoor spaces. These were super cute. 
The Survival Gardener shared an excellent no-dig garden demonstration video. This was a very nice video on the no-dig garden method or the lasagna method. And this was very well received in the listener community this week. Finally, rounding out the continuing ed segment is an article that was called PH should stand for plant health. The aspect of health that is most often overlooked is PH, also known as the potential of hydrogen. Now, the pH measures the acidity or alkalinity of a liquid solution. And as far as plant health is concerned, that distinction will dictate which nutrients the plant roots can absorb. So the article concludes with this statement. From this point forward, PH will be an acronym for plant health. This is one of the most important aspects of growing plants and cannot be overlooked without expecting an unhealthy crop and poor marketability. And I thought this next statement was particularly on point. Here's what it said. Since hydroponic growing systems often involve plant roots coming in contact with the nutrient solution regularly, if not constantly, the potential of hydrogen or pH must be corrected to the appropriate range to maintain optimum pH. So if we want to be healthy by maximizing our intake of nutrient-rich foods, we must make sure crops are rich in nutrients by maximizing their uptake. So there you go. You have a new way of thinking about pH or the potential of hydrogen when you're doing your soil test. Think of it in terms of plant health. In the how-to DIY segment, Skippy's Vegetable Garden shared some super cool panoramic photos of her backyard garden. And I really liked this idea, this notion of taking a panoramic photo of your garden, which I think would be so helpful during the off season, during the winter time. And also, I just love panoramic photos for gardens. I think they're very helpful. Now, of course, you can do exactly what this blogger did and take a panoramic photo with your phone. In fact, there's a great article that I shared in the group from the iPhone Photography School, which is a great blog, and it talks about how to take great panoramic photos with your iPhone. And then there was another article I found that was simply called Eight Guidelines to Taking Panoramic Photos with Any Camera, and they both were loaded with tons of tips. First and foremost is to use the panoramic mode when you're taking pictures with your camera. And that's usually just as simple as selecting panoramic on the bottom of your viewfinder. Also in the how-to DIY segment this week was a post that was called Wildish at Heart, Naturalistic Garden Hacks. And this was courtesy of the newperennialist.com. And when I shared this in the group, I said, stop what you're doing and read this and then read it again because there are so many wonderful gems in this post. It starts out simply with some suggestions like skipping the time honored habit of deadheading spent blooms and instead allowing seed heads to develop. And then the suggestions grow more sophisticated. So for instance, the new perennialist suggests planting a micro matrix 
In this post, they define a matrix as the base layer of a planting comprised of low-growing plants like sedges, grasses, and ferns into which taller perennials are placed to create a meadow or woodland effect. And then they give a ton of suggestions for that. And then one of my favorite aspects of this post is it talks about something they refer to as the game of flags. And they showed this image of all these different colored flag markers that they were going to use in the garden to help them plan their garden design. And here's what they wrote. Be prepared to make field adjustments before you do any actual planting on whatever scale. And here's the hack that they suggest that you use. Use different colored stake flags to roughly position every plant in a new design scheme before actually buying your plants. This hack gives you time and space to move things around and estimate the many plants you'll need before you dig in with your spade. I just loved this post. Also in the DIY segment this week, Garden Up Green shared a fantastic herb wreath, an easy to make fresh herb wreath. And this idea had never crossed my mind before, but I'm very intrigued by it and I just might give it a try. And then finally, Hort Meg shared a safe rose spray recipe that really works. And I just love finding secret recipes like this one for the garden. Here's what they shared. More than 5,000 rose bushes grow at Hershey Gardens in Hershey, Pennsylvania, where the gardening staff works hard to keep them free of pests and disease. They use a chemical spray in the main garden, but they do not want to use this spray in the dedicated children's garden. So they came up with the following safe and effective rose spray recipe. And here's what they do. They mix one tablespoon of vinegar with one cup of water. They add one and a half tablespoons of baking soda plus one tablespoon of dish soap and one tablespoon of vegetable oil or any other cooking oil. Then they stir this mixture into one gallon of water and spray it on their roses foliage. In the plant spotlight this week, Peggy Riccio, who was just featured on day one of the Garden Bloggers Fling episode, wrote a great article called Harvesting Heirloom Yellow Potato Onions. And Peg wrote a very nice post about these types of onions. She wrote, potato onions are a type of multiplier onion, and they multiply at the base by making more bulbs. And she said when she dug up her yellow potato onions, she was surprised to find almost 40 bulbs. And that was after planting only 15 bulbs. So she more than doubled her yield. That's fantastic. So check out Peg's post if you're interested in planting potato onions. Also in the plant spotlight this week, Hugh Conlon shared four top-rated coreopsis that you should know about in whatgrowsthere.com. The varieties he discusses are Summer Sunshine, Flower Tower, Gold Standard, and Last Dance. 
In the news segment this week, listener and listener advisory board member Denise Pugh shared a link she thought folks might be interested in. It's an opportunity to become America's best gardener. This is a contest that's sponsored by Seedlingers, and they are awarding more than $50,000 in cash and prizes to gardeners from across the United States. So if you're interested, make sure to send in your entry form. Also in the news, Urban Organic Farmer shared amazing before and after pictures of a rooftop garden. And this garden belongs to Julius Barcelona, and he wrote, I just started gardening in February, and I wanted to share how container gardening literally transformed my roof deck. Who says you can't grow food in the big city? And he also notes, we're five floors up, and yes, the wind is a big problem here. My herbs and leafy vegetables are okay since they're low-lying plants, but all my other plants like tomatoes and cucumbers are along the western wall, so they're protected from the wind when they're small. I've put up some trellis to support the taller plants along the side of the garden. There's one good thing about the wind, though. Pests have a harder time establishing since they get whipped around a lot. And when I shared this post, I wrote, this is why I garden in the late summer with a huge fan to keep the mosquitoes off me. It works great. Mosquitoes are terrible flyers. Finally, in the news this week, there was a stunning sculpture. It's a larger-than-life pineapple origami sculpture that popped up on a historic United Kingdom landscape. And the structure was called Look, Look, Look. And it was in the shape of a pineapple. It was designed by Heather and Ivan Morrison of Studio Morrison and installed at the National Trust Historic Barrington Hall. And I thought it was super adorable. And if you Google pineapple and Barrington, you'll see tons of great images of this pineapple origami pavilion And it's all over Instagram because people are getting their pictures taken in it. In the dream guest segment this week is Gilly Pino. He's the owner and operator of Gilly's Hatch Valley Chili Company. And in the 1980s, he began farming and selling peppers in Hatch, a town that's become synonymous with chilies. Pino now grows two varieties from his stand, and then he sources another eight from area farms. But what sets Pino's stand apart is the man himself. He's always offering up recipes and colorful stories and strong opinions. And then also in the dream guest segment this week is Vern Eisenhower. Vern was featured on his local television station because he turned 106 years old and he credits gardening to his long life. And the part I loved about this article is it said this, at 106, Eisenhower is not making lots of plans, but as for his garden, he just goes with his gut. He said, if I feel like it, I'll garden next year. If I don't feel like it, I won't. Great advice. 
Boy, there were a lot of articles that made the science segment this week. The first was featured in the Washington Post. An ecologist at Cornell University, an author of the newly published Monarchs and Milkweed, his name's Anurag Agrawal, and he says, Although milkweed habitat has been lost, there's still plenty of wild common milkweed, especially in the eastern United States. There are many factors, including tropical milkweed, that threaten monarchs. So whatever you do, if you want to help, don't plant tropical milkweed. Another article that made the science segment this week was from ScienceDaily.com, and here we learn the difference between hydrotropism and gravitropism, and the article was called Cucumbers in Space Provide Insights on Root Growth. So here's the crux of the article. Plant roots grow to find water, according to a process known as hydrotropism. However, roots are also influenced by gravity, and they tend to grow downwards, and that's called gravitropism. But in these experiments that were conducted in space, water, or hydrotropism, had more influence on controlling root growth than gravitropism. So file that away and bring that little factoid out the next time you're at a party. The Guardian shared a post called Meet the Thistle Propagator in Chief, and it offered a new perspective to consider. And here it is. More thistles mean more bees. In this article, the author says that there were few more impressive summer sights in her area than a marsh thistle bed in late June because scores of magenta-topped spikes were bending back and forth in the breeze and the bees were going crazy for them. And she says, bees adore feeding on thistle blossoms. Wrapping up the science segment is a post from Horti Daily saying that the University of Florida is working on seedless watermelons. They're very optimistic about this one. In fact, for the study, researchers grafted seedless watermelon onto squash rootstocks to ward off soil-borne diseases such as fusarium wilt. In Shopping This Week is a fantastic book called Cutting Back, My Apprenticeship in the Gardens of Kyoto, and it's by Leslie Buck. I discovered Leslie's book when she was featured in the Washington Post. There was a great perspective piece written about her, and the headline was, A Gardener Went to Japan to Polish Her Pruning Skills and She Found Tough Love. And this article shared some excerpts of her time in Japan as she was learning how to prune. And here's one of the sections that caught my attention. In her mid-30s, Leslie found herself in a form of horticultural boot camp with an all-male crew of manic gardeners led by a boss who was as tough as a drill sergeant. Buck later discovered that boss man was much older than he looked and had been trained as a kamikaze pilot in World War II. 
but the divine wind blew him toward a long life. And in his 70s, he was as strong and indefatigable as men in his crew who were half his age. They worked at breakneck pace for 10 hours a day, six days a week. They pruned on precarious bamboo poles lashed between high branches, and they worked through thunderstorms, freezing downpours, and even an earthquake. They observed the strict boundaries of etiquette in a hierarchical system that Buck was now part of. She learned to check her feelings and keep her mouth shut, aided somewhat by her limited knowledge of Japanese. The frustrations and the sense of cultural isolation built, and the experience left her physically drained and an emotional wreck. In fact, she could not open a journal that she had kept there until three years had lapsed. In time, she worked and reworked her diaries into a book. And that's how I picked her book to be in the shopping segment this week. So again, the book is called Cutting Back, My Apprenticeship in the Gardens of Kyoto, and it's by Leslie Buck. In the inspiration segment this week was a fantastic article that was called, And Now Let's Add Humidity. And when I shared it, I said this, For everyone suffering in the dog days of summer, this wow post from Peace of Eden with the excellent tagline, I wish I had thought of, to boldly grow where no man had lawn before. Ha! Isn't that awesome? If you're a Star Trek fan, you're going crazy for that little tagline, to boldly grow where no man had lawn before. I say we give them a prize for that. Anyway, this post was fantastic because... They went around their garden, and even though it's like extremely hot out, they took these amazing photographs of the things that were just loving that heat. There was a great picture of the Hobbit Eryngium, a very happy bougainvillea called Imperial Thai Delight that was planted in 2015 and is well underway, gorgeous agave blue glow, and of course, dahlias. In quotables this week are happiness quotes pertaining to the garden. The first is a Chinese saying, If you want to be happy for an hour, have a party. If you want to be happy for a week, kill your pig and eat it. If you want to be happy all your life, become a gardener. Then this one's by Gertrude Jekyll. The lesson I have thoroughly learnt and wish to pass on to others is to know the enduring happiness that the love of a garden gives. And then this one by William Cowper is my favorite. Thus happiness depends, as nature shows, less on exterior things than most suppose. And then finally, we'll wrap things up here with Russell Baker, Ah, summer, what power you have to make us suffer and like it. 
Well, that's the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed. If you join the listener community, the free Facebook group for the show, it's called the Still Growing Podcast Group. Just look it up on Facebook the next time you're there and then request to join. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, Let's transition to the topic of today's show, day three of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling. Today's show is the third in a three-part series featuring the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling held in and around Washington, D.C. Now, for today's show, I'm excited to be joined by fellow garden bloggers, Terry Spate of the blog Cottage in the Court, Joanne Shaw of Down to Earth, and Tracy Blevins of Plants Map. In today's show, we'll be reviewing day three of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling, and day three was focused on gardens in rural areas outside of D.C. So we'll be reviewing wonderful private and public gardens in areas like the Plains, Virginia, Middleburg, Virginia, Hamilton, and Vienna. And as with day two, most of these gardens are from private homes, with owners that have a passion for gardening, and the others were the personal gardens created by professional landscape designers. And it's such a treat for the garden bloggers to get a chance to see the gardens that these professionals create and tend for themselves. Now, before we headed out of town, we stopped at Tammy Schmidt's garden, and Tammy was the chairperson of the 2017 fling. On day three, the bloggers also visited the famed Maryfields Garden Center, where they had a chance to do a little bit of shopping. And then lunch was at the Stone Tower Winery with views of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Terry, Joanne, Tracy, and I had a fantastic time chatting about all of these venues. And I'm so excited that you get a chance to hear their insights and unique perspectives about all of the great locations they toured on day three. So buckle up because here we go. Well, hello, ladies. Welcome to our little Garden Blogger Fling reunion. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. It's so nice to hear everybody's voice again. Hi, Jennifer. It's Jerry. Nice to see everyone as well. Absolutely. Well, before we get started, why don't I have each of you take a moment and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your blog and where you garden and maybe just a little bit about your personal life. Joanne, you want to kick it off? Sure. My name is Joanne Shaw. I garden in Pickering, Ontario, Canada, just east of Toronto. The name of my blog is Down to Earth. I garden in Zone 5B, and this was my third fling, so I'm so excited to have seen three trips. It's been wonderful. I am a landscape designer, and, and I became a blogger so that I could help my clients uh, look after their gardens. I am married with two boys, uh, both back home, so we're le- learning to live with two adult sons once again, as I garden mostly in my front yard because I have a corner lot and all of my garden is in the front yard. And I also have my own internet radio show on Monday nights 
on Reality Radio 101 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I host a gardening radio show that also helps everyone uh, with some down-to-earth practical tips and ideas for their garden. Joanne, I love your show. Okay, great. Thank you, Jennifer. You bet. Terry, you want to go next? That's me. And my name is Terry Spate. Uh, my blog name is Cottage in the Court because I live in a cottage in the cul-de-sac, which I call my court. Um, I write about all things beautiful that we sometimes take for granted or are too busy to notice. My garden is more or less an English cottage garden. I have no turf on purpose. Uh, right now, my garden is primarily in the front and sides of my house because I am personally digging my own pond. Uh, that will have a uh, memory garden behind it in honor of my parents. Uh, I am a garden visionary, so I help people reconnect with the earth um, in their own garden space because everyone doesn't appreciate the English garden. Some people want a more refined garden. Some people want a simple meadow. Some people just want a pot with a lot of interest <laughs> in it. Um, so I help guide people along those lines. I'm a single woman <laughs> with my dog, Amenia. I'm a grandmother of two beautiful young boys, a mother of two daughters. So they probably are not as passionate about the earth as I am, but I do teach them to appreciate and respect the earth and give to it as much as they get from it in the form of food. In the form of food. Absolutely. Well, everybody yeah. can connect with the earth that way. Now, Terry, I have to yeah. ask you, what kind of dog do you have? And how did you come up with the term garden visionary? My dog is a Rottweiler. Um, she is 10 years young and rotten as anything. Give her peanut butter and she will open the door for you. <laughs> if you put her on the floor, she thinks she's five pounds and she is 130 pounds plus of oh, pure okay. love. Yeah, she is just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, when she gardens with me, when she's ready to go to the bathroom, she will get her leash because she knows not, not my garden. <laughs> Trained that way. Wow. Um, garden visionary. How did I come up with that term? There are so many landscape designers and landscape architects and landscapers that um, may not know plant material. I am a plantologist. <laughs> I love plant Ooh. material. Um, I use the Latin name first as I was trained as a master gardener. Use the Latin name first and use the common <laughs> name. So some people will go, you know, I really like that plant. Well, if I know that you live in a shady environment, I'm not going to tell you, well, yeah, you can grow Amsonia in part shade because it's not going to work. So visionary, you tell me or I come visit you in your garden. You tell me what you want. I want to be out here every day. I don't want to be out here every day. I want something to take care of itself. And I'm going to help you come up with the vision of beauty that really speaks to you and really gives the world who you really are from your garden. Love it, Terry. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's excellent, Terry. <laughs> All right, Tracy Blevins. <laughs> I love that, Terry, Garden Visionary. I love that term. So I'm Tracy Blevins, and I am a co-founder of a website called plantmap.com, which allows individuals and organizations to basically create a digital plant journal or a digital plant library of their gardens, either for themselves or 
for our public landscapes as an educational outreach tool. So a lot of people call it Facebook for landscapes or Pinterest for plants. So you find me there in the community. My my uh, particular URL is plantsmap.com slash Tracy dash Blevins. But I'm usually pretty high up on the Explore page updating my plant. We do have a blog that we call The Journal. And we have a monthly journal called Connecting People with Plants, which is our tagline. We also like to write feature stories about some of the community members on Plants Maps. So we just recently featured a Cherokee garden that's in Georgia, which has a very interesting story about keeping alive the traditions of the Cherokee Indians and that they were one of only two that kept written records of how they would use their plants. We also have a milkweed advocate that we just interviewed grow milkweed, and um, we did a story on him. We did another one on the University Heights Arts Association in Buffalo, which has a program that kind of combines gardening and art, which is an interesting topic. I currently garden in Virginia. I've been a master gardener since 2004 in three different states, New York, Alabama, and Virginia. It was the first time at the fling, and I had a great time and brought back some ideas for myself and actually have even incorporated a plant or two that I found on the tour. I'm like Terry. I'm a plant material person. So when I go on oh, tours, I'm looking very closely in my notes here that we'll talk about. We'll show, oh, did you see that plant? Did you see that plant? Mm-hmm. That was a unique plant, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's what we do. That's what I do. That's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been an avid gardener since 1999, and I wanted to become a master gardener so that I could learn why I was killing my plants. So, <laughs> that's kind of a joke about us, right? We just know how we killed it. And um, I'm also kind of forward. You know, I learned very early it was important to know the botanical names because if you ordered things and you bought things by the common name, you weren't always getting the plant you thought you were getting. That would mm-hmm. lead to problems for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do try to use now with social media common names because people can't associate with them. But I try to include both as much as possible. And then a few years ago, my husband got into collecting conifers. When we bought our current landscape, he said, you know, can I put some conifers in the front yard? Because I had a friend that was active in the conifer society in Rochester, New York. Well, now he has more than 200 conifers. So it's a slippery slope when you live with a master (laughs) gardener. So now we're active in the conifer society and our our concept kind of came out of our combined needs. And so after me struggling to keep notes and records and photos and lists and information about my plants and IDing my plants in the landscape, he realized what I've been trying to do all these years. And he's the tech guy. He's the tech geek. So he's the one that wanted to make our our website mobile friendly so you could connect with your plants on your phone and update it while you're in the garden. So it becomes a useful tool for you as well as something fun to do and share with people. We're avid plant geeks. We're going to a tomato festival this weekend and we're going to a water lily festival next weekend. That's great. Very cool. Well, let's kick it off. Day three began with a stop at Tammy Schmidt's house. Now, Tammy was the remarkable chair of the 2017 fling, and here's how she describes her garden. Tammy's garden is a study in improvisation and imperfection that has been dogscaped to meet the needs of her canine crew. Her cottage-style garden is completely organic, 
and packed with native plants and ornamentals that attract and support wildlife. All annuals are grown from seed during the winter. And the garden features a 67-foot riverbed dug by hand that ends in a rain garden designed to prevent runoff from entering the storm drain and flowing into the Chesapeake. What'd you guys think? Terry, you want to kick it off? Well, yes. And definitely my thoughts on Tammy's garden. Initially, it was, now this is a garden. It is a garden that was honed out of love for the earth. Everywhere I looked, I saw nature having a garden party. There were bees, there were butterflies, plants of different heights, plants with so much color in them. And having being a dog owner myself, I could see how <laughs> she would have to manipulate the area to be dog friendly. And the hand, we, we had had many conversations about her um, rain garden. And knowing that it was hand dug, the length of it, and the way it was just really curvaceous and very inviting, not just a line, that was awesome to me. Well, and Terry, from a garden visionary standpoint, I know it's important to you that the garden reflects the gardener. And this garden, even though I wasn't able to see it, sounds like a true reflection of Tammy and the things that she values in her life. It definitely Absolutely. was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. It definitely yeah. was. This is Joanne, uh, Jennifer. It definitely was Tammy because we've known, you know, I've known her for three years now. This is the third playing and definitely stepping into her backyard. It's like, if I didn't even know whose house it, like whose garden it was, you knew it was Tammy's garden. And Tammy being an educator, I also appreciated the fact that, and being the business that we're in, which is people educating about their plants and their garden, she had a plant list for people. And she mm-hmm. marked the plants that had been given to her or she had purchased from Laziest Farm, which it was, uh, I think is local. I think that's local to her. Yeah, they're in yes, Herbersville, Virginia. She had very uniquely marked them with little terracotta pots and numbered them and then gave you the plant. Mm-hmm. I, I think when you visit a garden, it's important for it to be an educational experience for people. And with her background being an educator, you know, it was a perfect fit and she blended it very well. And it showed you, you know, plant material that you could have in a suburban backyard that a lot of people think that they maybe couldn't have in a suburban mm-hmm. backyard. You know, a lot of native wildflower type of plant. Definitely. And I do want to speak about the, the dog area. I mean, you never would have known that the dogs, because I visit a lot of yards and that, that tends to be a challenge for most, a lot of my clients is how to, you know, still have a garden with the dog and, and, you know, I've come, I have to try to come up with creative solutions. And I mean, I think she just did a great job with the, with the little fence at the back and to let the dogs go where they're going to go and garden the other area. And uh, I think it really works. Instead of forcing them into an area that, you know, that never works, right? <laughs> so, right. We're, we're dog owners. We have border collies. Yeah. So we have oh, okay. for them oh, because no. they like to chase um, my husband's remote control planes. So we have to keep a certain amount of open green play space for them, right? So you, yeah. you do think about that when you're a dog owner. Where Where is mm-hmm. my dog going to play and roll around? So mm-hmm. definitely, definitely. Oh, mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was really great. And I also love the little terracotta pots. that She's tiny little terracotta pots on stakes with numbers glued to the bottom of them. Right, Tracy? And yeah. that's, which, that's how she numbered. So we knew what plants and, and it was subtle in the garden. You know, even in some of my pictures, I had to really zoom in to see it. Right. So uh, mm-hmm. I thought uh, I thought she did a great job. 
How did she do that, Joanne? How did she have that set up? Uh-huh. She had tiny little uh, terracotta pots turned like they were like she must have had sticks in the ground by the plants, and then the little terracotta pot sat upside down on the stick on the stick that we didn't really see, and then she had these cute little numbers glued to the bottom of the terracotta pot. And it was really subtle because it was just like in amongst the plants. Right. Uh, a personal garden. You should be able to do things like that to demonstrate and to share the knowledge of what that plant is without it being, you know, so obvious. That's why I think it was really a personal garden with a lot of love thrown in. I have yeah. a um, Pinterest board on creative plant tags, so I'll have to add that. You know, we're into um, interactive plant tags, but I think the creativity of how other people do it as well is always great to see. Yeah. Now, what did you guys think about how she arranged her pots? Uh, you know, she had that kind of landing and like several steps into her back door. And I mm-hmm. loved how she kind of put all the pots, like she kind of added a garden next to her. I'm always looking at the hardscaping as well as a designer. So, you know, I felt like she really kind of finished that space and softened the hardscaping because she kind of created a garden by stacking and grouping a lot of pots of different sizes um, in that area. What did you guys think? That was awesome because that also allows for a mobile garden, so to speak. And she started all of those plants and those pots from seeds. That yeah. was amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so that means that over the winter, she was thinking, giving vision to what she wanted in that space. And from the first time I saw it last year, it was totally like formed differently this year. It's mobile. You can break it down. You can move yeah. it around. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at a picture I took of it. Yeah, a lot of different types of plant materials, too. Like, I see basil in there, but she also has mm-hmm. some bay lilies in those containers, which gives you that. Gra- and then there's some grasses in the background in containers. And then mm-hmm. some annuals and some perennials and succulents. Yeah, and she tucked artwork in there. She's a little gnome and a little uh, bourbon beater. <laughs> I think it really softened and really made it fun. And I, and I think you're right, Terry. That's a great idea that every year, because she grew everything from seeds, she can, that can be completely different plants. Yeah. 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 Great point. You know, what I noticed is, well, two things about this garden that I got to see after the fact in pictures. The first is that she was wearing a mother of dragons t-shirt and as a game of <laughs> Thrones fan, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love that t-shirt. But then Tammy being Tammy customized that shirt and added the word snap in front of dragons. So it became mother yeah. of snap dragons. And that was just absolutely mm-hmm. adorable. And then the other thing that she did, and she had mentioned this to me when we were on the bus and she said that she had literally fashioned her own arbor out of just a bunch of stuff that she bought from the hardware store. And when I say yeah. that she fashioned this arbor, I mean, she had just chunks of this and pieces of that and tubing and all kinds of hardware and different elements that she fashioned together. And she said, you know what, by the end of the summer, you can't even tell that it's kind of a hodgepodge because everything grows over the arbor and then all you see is the green. But I was thinking as I saw this arbor, first of all, Tammy's ingenuity and persistence. And then also, if Tammy was my mom and we were living back in the pioneer days and we had nothing to eat, I know that Tammy would find me something to eat. She's just that persistent. (laughs) A definite example of reuse, recycle, and reduce. Absolutely. And, And being 
imaginative, letting your imagination run. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No question. But it was also a very relaxing garden, too. And and you can tell because she had that huge hammock in the center of her green space, uh, which I also loved. And I know we all got some pictures because a lot of bloggers took the opportunity to enjoy the sunshine. And I know I have a picture of Annalise laying in laying in, in it. It was such a comfortable garden that you could see yourself sitting and relaxing in it. Not all gardens can pull that off. Yeah. And then how about the presentation by John and Bob Soil Solutions? You know, I was lucky because I this was my travel day, so I missed all of day three, sadly. But Bryn Haas was doing a lot of live Facebook live shots from Tammy's garden. And one of the things she did a Facebook live on was this presentation by John and Bob's Soil Solutions. And so I got a chance to drop in on a portion of that. And what I loved is how they took the whole superhero theme and used it as a way to market their products, that they would essentially be using superheroes to help reconstruct soil and help keep soil healthy. Yeah, it was was very informative about that. And being the Canadian on the call here, we have a lot more restrictions right now um, as far as what we can put on our our gardens. Mm-hmm. It's different in Ontario, it's in different herbicide bans mm-hmm. and pesticide bans. So the more options we have organically, I think is great. And so listening to some of his talk, and it just makes so much sense when you listen to the science behind improving and adding, you know, how the different synthetic, I think he used the term synthetic products, you know, we have bought, we bought them to do one thing, but then they're inadvertently doing the other, which is ruining the good things like, like antibiotics, you know, in our bodies, ruin the, the good bacteria just as much as they affect the bad. I think that was a really good analogy and non-gardeners don't realize that. It's been hard to find products like this. And I, we're seeing more and more products like this entering the market now. I think the the first wave was sort of the compost teas and everybody was coming out with a compost tea. I mean, before that, you really had, you know, what did you have? You had this fertilizer and that was about it, right? right? So now, (laughs) which makes me gag, but I mean, there's some good ones out there, but some of them are like, oh my, but there weren't a lot of options for dealing with improving your soil. You know, it was about feeding plants, not improving your soil. So yeah, his presentation was excellent. As soon as I came home, I really read and studied those products because I didn't mm-hmm. have a problem with a tree. And I had mm-hmm. use before I left, there was probably a nematode root problem. And really, mm-hmm. for me as a homeowner, the only solution is improve your soil, add more beneficial bacteria, microbes, good nematodes, right? That's mm-hmm. the best way to fight it. As soon as I got this and read this, I'm like, oh, this is what I need. So I already have used two of the products that we got. Oh, so. good. Yeah, the interesting product was the Penetrate, which is, um, yeah. I live in an area that has clay soils, and it's, a, it's called a liquid biochiller. That actually helps to break up the clay and helps to add beneficial bacteria to your soil. So that's very unique. I haven't seen anything like that before. Yeah, that, I'm interested. That, that was trying. the very first thing I got home and opened up and read and studied and used. Hopefully, um, we'll have good results with that. So, yeah, very impressed with the concept of their product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, next up was a visit to Maryfield's Garden Center.
And this is a stop that my bank account was very glad I did not make. (laughs) And it sounds like even though so many of us were traveling from so far away and you just hate to add one more thing to bring home because we already get so many wonderful things from the sponsors of the fling and our swag bags, our suitcases are brimming over. But I saw that a lot of garden bloggers actually bought quite a bit at the garden Mm -hmm. center. And Maryfields is a premier local nursery, and it features an extensive collection of plants, decorative garden goods, and gardening supplies. I saw in a post that Pam Pennick had shared that they had a cute little table welcoming you to their garden center. What stands out about this place? Tracy? Well, you know, I'm a, a local on this Garden Bloggers fling. I, I lived in Northern Virginia. I was familiar with Maryfield when we very first moved here uh, in 1989. Back then, it was an amazing garden center. They started in 1971. They're still family-owned. They have three stores in the area. The Gainesville, I think, is the newest one, uh, and it's huge. That's the one that we visited was the one in Gainesville. You know, everybody in Northern Virginia knows Maryfield Garden Center, I think. Wouldn't you Uh, say, Terry, because you're also local, right? Yes, it is. Everyone knows Maryfield and everyone remembers the show that Maryfield used to have on Saturday morning and we miss it dearly. Yeah, and the the one that we visited in Gainesville is huge. That's the one that we usually, from time to time, we live down south of Fredericksburg that we will take a day trip up to go to once or twice a, a year to visit. Yeah, I'm in Maryland, and I go at least once a month to visit because they always have something new and exciting. Their displays are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is yeah. the first time that I uh, come out of there spending under $100. It's well worth it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah, they were very generous also, not only with their um, welcome welcome table that they had snacks and refreshments for us, <laughs> They also um, had given us, everybody on the fling, uh, I think it was a 15% discount card or discount sheet. So that was really generous. So I think that contributed to all of us not being able to resist uh, spending money. (laughs) (laughs) Really? But I did anybody see my little, like I got a little um, statue of a little tired Buddha. So it's kind of like stretching with it. I'll post that picture of that. Yeah, I couldn't resist. The other other great thing about Maryfield is they have these wonderful fact sheets on um, different types of gardening, from uh, naturalistic gardening, they have one on herb gardening, uh, lawns. They they are a great informational center. Yeah. It's one of these garden centers that I think has certainly embraced a newer approach of being a destination garden center, where they're family-friendly and they have things to see and do, and it is a destination-type garden center. They're definitely doing things right there, and I took home a couple of fuchsias because also in the Garden Bloggers fling was fuchsia in the city, Yes, one of the um, garden bloggers, uh, right? And yeah, and they've been a mystery to me, so I'm like, I'm going to follow him. So, of course, he's like, where are the fuchsias? So, he's giving me a crash course and <laughs> while we're there. And he picked out one for me that was a hardy perennial fuchsia, which I didn't even know existed. Wow. So I brought home two fuchsias that he picked out for me, um, Aura, which is hardy to zone six. I didn't know it. It sh- grows like a shrub. And then an annual one, I think it's called Angel Earrings, double red. But I didn't, I said, so I'm not that great at them. He's like, what's your, what's your tip? You know? And he's like, well, they need well-drained soil. 
And he's like, yes, they're moisture-loving, but moisture with well-drained soil is the trick. And he said people think they're heat-loving and they are shade-loving, but he said they're actually not that heat-tolerant. And so the one he picked out for me was Angel Earrings Double Red. And he said that one, a lot of people are saying, is a very heat-tolerant fuchsia. And he's in New York, so he apparently has the magic touch with them and can grow them very easily there, so... That's oh, fantastic. That's cool. You know, when I was talking to Tanya Peel, when we were talking about the Garden Bloggers fling on day one, she did the same thing. She followed fuchsias in the city into the garden <laughs> greenhouses at Hillwood because, of course, he's looking at the fuchsias. And I thought, you know, mm-hmm. these guys do such a great job of really targeting what they're passionate about. And I think mm-hmm. all of us could benefit from that a little bit when we're on the fling because you walk into these venues and it's so overwhelming. If you're not targeted about what you're doing, you can kind of leave just with that overwhelmed feeling, not really feeling like you got your arms really around anything. So hats off to them. They sound like they did a really great job at every venue of first targeting what their specialty is all about, and that's fuchsias. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. And well, and and mentioning that there was a destination as well, I kind of uh, I sent out a picture to my girlfriend because they also sold beer and wine mm-hmm. at, mm-hmm. Uh, at the garden center. Which you know, we, Canada, we've been a little bit behind you guys. We just this past year, 2016, finally have liquor in our grocery stores. Otherwise, oh, wow. you only have to go. Yeah, seriously, you have to only go to a liquor store to get alcohol. So to see it in a garden center was like, woohoo! I think more of my girlfriends would be into gardening if they could get wine, you know, their wine that's also at the garden center. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what my receipt would look like if I was going through the garden center with a glass of Pino Grigio. Like, yeah, I'm going to get a whole flat of these. Yeah, back it up, yeah. back it up. <laughs> that's great. Well, after Maryfields, you traveled to the Plains, Virginia, for a tour of the garden of Linda Hostetler. Linda is a graphic designer turned landscape designer who is happiest playing in the dirt with primary colors. And boy, does she love that cobalt blue. There were so many wonderful posts of her garden with that gorgeous blue. Her incredible garden started with poison ivy and three Three dead cherry trees. How's that for a kickoff? And she has turned her garden into an exuberant red and blue playground threaded with vignettes created by a collector gone mad. She and her husband dug a 90-foot stream, just like Tammy. So she's got this long stream and a 16 by 24-foot pond for their resident amphibians. Now, the posts of this garden look spectacular. There was one written by Pam Pennick. She was back in episode 555 of the podcast. And Pam did a great job talking about this garden and that color, that use of cobalt blue. And that is exactly what captured the attention of Toronto blogger Helen Battersby, who was also featured in episode 544 when we were talking about last year's fling. Ladies, what stands out to you when you think about Linda's garden? Joanne, do you want to go first? Well, yeah, I'd love to start, actually. I, I Getting off 
this garden kind of hit you a bit in the face because she had the garden right to the curb. So we get off the little bus and you are like literally right in her garden almost. And I was just taken away by the front of the garden, which was unfortunate because then I spent too much time in the front and I missed out with, you don't know what's in the back. And so the back was unbelievable. <laughs> But I have to say, I just, I stood there and I had other, you know, bloggers with me and I just, you know, I kind of felt at the time this was my favorite or this was just very impactful. And someone asked me why, like what made this one different? And I think I felt the, as beautiful it was in the moment, I really felt that you could stand in that garden and see the season. I think she did a wonderful job with evergreens with large ones, small ones, I felt she, she, the textures, in addition to the color, you could stand there and close your eyes and picture it in the winter, and you could picture it in the spring, and you could picture it in the fall, and, and that really hit me. It was, it was very full and very tight. You know, lots of, you know, not everybody likes all the plants kind of touching each other and running into each other. I happen to love that, especially the front yard. The backyard was unbelievable when I finally got back there uh, to see what she did. And you didn't realize how deep the backyard is when you first pull up. So it was a very deep garden with a lot of unique features of pathways. She had a stone bench built out of a wall. Like she had a raised bed and the, the stone kind of protruded. They built the wall so the, the stone kind of like a shelf protruded out of the wall as a bench. In addition to all the metal in the garden was painted a beautiful cobalt blue. And someone said, oh, because it recedes, which I'm not the photographer in the group for sure nor am I the color expert from that type of thing. But I definitely know that when I look at my photos, you know, those things don't scream at you. They are subtle. And I can see how that, that person meant that. I think it was Andrea uh, Fox had said that, that it just recedes in the garden. So I, I could I could talk about this forever. I'm sure you girls have other things to say, but I, I really enjoyed this garden. I, what I particularly liked about Linda's garden was the view. You came into a colorful yet serene space. It definitely invited you in. But then when you went around to the left-hand side of the house and you entered into what I call the true garden, that spoke volumes about Linda's personality, her sense of color, how she just tied everything in, where everywhere you looked, you just wanted to sit and just absorb it all. I could go there and spend a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me too. I to eat, but it was yeah. gorgeous. My takeaway from the garden was, and I think Carrie and I are kind of, you know, we're looking at the plant material in there. We, you go to gardens, I hate to say I judge people, but I'm like plant person, not a plant person. Because exactly. <laughs> you know by the plant material and the uniqueness of it, oh, this is a plant person. This person knows their plants um, because of her choices. And there weren't things that you would see everywhere. Like, I don't know if you saw in in the front. And, yeah, I was amazed, too. I'm like, oh, this was a nice garden. And then it's like, what? There's a back? And And there were such different personalities, I thought. Um, Also, Mm -hmm. it was was almost like two different worlds. Like, there was the front (laughs) garden around the house, which was, I don't know, a little bit more formal, I guess. 
And then yeah. the back was like whimsical. It was a little bit yeah. more personality, like like Terry said. But in the front, yeah. there were these really unique bellflowers I'd never seen. That white with little yeah. tiny pink speckles. And yeah. she had one of my trees that I'm obsessed about right at her back door. She had a Franklin mm-hmm. tree. That is very rare to see in a landscape. And yeah. um, she also had a very rare hydrangea in the very back, um, mm-hmm. which was a bracked hydrangea, hydrangea involucrata, bracked hydrangea. It is very rare. I only know of one in the trade, um, which is called Blue Bunny, and this one was not Blue Bunny. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, she had a plant collector's palette in that garden. Yeah. Which was very, very interesting. And, yeah. and not just perennials, though. Like, I think she wasn't afraid to go big. Like, I'm looking at one picture now with a, a beautiful Japanese maple, the beautiful blue mm-hmm. spruce, the smoke bush. Mm-hmm. She might go into a tree. I mean, she wasn't, I mean, of course she had the size. Not everybody has a garden that size, <laughs> right? Like, just about her, you know what I mean? The yardage, the square footage. So, you know, some people can't go big. But I think she was so good at layering it. So the big things, the medium things, it showed everything all off. Sometimes yeah. I think people think if they put too many shrubs or too many big trees, that people won't notice the perennials, but just like you spoke, right. Tracy, you still notice them all, and, and you notice the trees. You know, she did a really great job of really achieving that. That that's one of those gardens to me. When people say, "Oh, I put my garden in bed for the fall," you shouldn't put your garden in mm. bed. <laughs> yes, I hate that. Her garden is her garden is one that is awake and alive. Three sixty five. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody once said to me at a, gar- at a garden show, um, you put the baby to bed, you leave the garden alone. That's great. Here in Canada, everything's all they need to prepare it for the winter. No, you don't. You need to leave it alone. <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, we have this Facebook group for people who attend the Garden Bloggers Fling, kind of the past and the present, and it's all together. So there's about 2,000 folks in this group. And Barbara Katz, whose garden was on the fling Mm -hmm. this year. She was Mm -hmm. on day two. She herself has a gorgeous garden, but she took pictures Mm -hmm. of Linda's garden and she shared them (laughs) in the group. And here's what she wrote. And I thought this was very high praise coming from Barbara Katz, a woman who definitely knows how to put a garden together. She said, it was wonderful to be part of the Capital Region Garden Bloggers Fling last weekend. I wasn't able to visit every property on the tour, but those I did all had their own magic. In particular, Linda Linda Hostetler's Garden Paradise completely blew my mind. The sun was bright and harsh, and these pics don't do it justice. But there was a beautiful plant combination or artful movement around every corner. Just incredible. I'm telling you, the pictures of this garden in not an ideal lighting situation are absolutely Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, totally Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, I, my my pictures, but even despite my amateur photos, the garden pathways, the, how she used ground cover, I like a little bit of structure. And, you know, I think they make the plants better. Personally, that's just my personal taste. I think she did that really well. And she had some really other unique features. Did everybody notice the um, chain hanging from her soffit against the house yeah. and, and the clematis going up it? And everybody that I, we all took pictures of that and everybody went, why did I think of that? Like, you know, it was so mm-hmm. easy. And my son did that. So I came up with that idea because my son had started a vegetable garden in the back and he, I got him a chain because I said, why don't you have the beans grow up the chain and see how that works? 
So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk about another example of the proper execution of every available inch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and and Tracy, you hit on her deep love of plants. And Linda, when she saw this post that had been posted by Barbara Katz, she wrote in reply, she said, thank you. We love our plants. And that's it. Each one gets its own time to shine a little. And it's fun to help them do that. So spoken like a true plants woman. Mm-hmm. All right, ladies. Well, I'm sure it was tough to get back on the bus after this garden, but the good, news, the good news is you were traveling to a winery. In fact, you were traveling to the Stone Tower Winery for lunch, and there was a wine tasting that was courtesy of Jim Peterson of Garden Design Magazine. Stone Tower is a premier winery with views of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I saw the vistas of this gorgeous winery. I mean, the, the setting was amazing and so tranquil looking as well. Tracy, you want to start us off here? Yeah, that was a a wonderful place to have lunch. It just blended perfectly with our garden tour theme because it was just a gorgeous, you know, agritourism type of destination there. It's Leesburg, Virginia. And that area is often described as very pastoral. There's a lot of horse farms and now there's a lot of vineyards out in that area. And in Virginia, um, that's been a growing agriculture here is wines and wineries and Virginia wine. So yeah, the vineyard was just a beautiful, gorgeous stop. I know a lot of us took group photos there with the beautiful, you know, rolling hills or mountains mm-hmm. behind us. Very, it looked like a very family friendly oriented as well. I I didn't get to walk around that much, but it looked like there were kind of different areas where there was one area over there was just packed with families over there on the other side, and then. We we were on the side, which I guess they probably use more for special events, for weddings and things like that. Shout out to Garden Design Magazine. It was a fantastic mm-hmm. And the winery, they have 60 acres that they're actually, I don't know if you've ever learned the difference between a vineyard and a winery. Winery may not grow their grapes, but a vineyard mm-hmm. does. So oh, this right. was a, yeah. In Virginia, you learn that because you might go to a winery, but they don't grow their grapes yet. They're growing grapes, but it takes several years for them to reach maturity for them to use them. And then there's a lot of testing of which grapes are going to grow in your soil. A lot of the vinifer grapes don't grow that well in Virginia, but they are growing. One that's very popular here is Cabernet Franc, which a lot of folks grow around here. Uh, what is it, Vognier? That's the other one that's very popular here. So, yeah, it was a wonderful visit. Yeah, it was very generous uh, lunch, the lunch and the wine tasting. Saying it was nice because it was really informal. So when you felt like doing the wine tasting, whether it was before lunch or during lunch or after lunch, it was really casual, so the setup was great. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very generous for Jim from uh, Garden Design Magazine to host. The catered lunch was, was to die for, as well as the wine tasting. So, yeah, <laughs> it was a perfect thing for the Sunday, like our third lunch together. Uh-huh. You know, it was a very relaxing, beautiful. We were inside, so it was kind of mm-hmm. cool and nice, comfy, you know, setting area to sit and on couches and, and things like that. And they had electricity, so a lot of people were charging their phones. But uh, <laughs> it was a beautiful, beautiful spot. Yeah, it's known as one of Virginia's premier wineries. A lot of my coworkers, they like to go. I've heard it being considered the perfect date winery. 
because there are options of things to do. They have a lot of programming there. They have entertainment there. So it's definitely one to keep on the radar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the pictures were gorgeous. Mm-hmm. What a great space to go mm-hmm. on day three. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, next up, we traveled to Middleburg, Virginia, to a private estate garden surrounding a home built in 1790. The garden features an herb garden, a secret garden, and bountiful perennial borders, as well as views of the rolling hills of world-famous horse country. Terry, let's have you start the discussion on this amazing property. Well, first I want to say, I, I in my former life, I was head gardener for the city of Fredericksburg. So I have seen a lot of state gardens. This one <laughs> won the banner in my book. Um, oh, wow. I, I, oh, it, it really, from the perennial border, I, mean, I probably lingered there longer than I should have, but the perennial border and the view, it's just phenomenal. I think she did a perfect execution of like a lower garden because you could step down and just kind of take in the scenery. She had a wonderful corgi too, and I I love corgis. Then there was this wonderful little hidden garden close to the house that just kind of embraced you. It was the, the boxwoods even. A lot of people just think boxwoods make the garden, but she kind of got a little whimsical with the plantings on the way to the boxwood. Mm-hmm. On the, even her, the art that she had installed in there. I thought it was very, 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 very beautiful. And the views, picking out the places for the garden so that you're awed by the garden, but then you look beyond and it's like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I yeah. totally agree with what Terry is saying. That's, that was going to be my comment too, Terry, was the views. Was when I look back at my pictures, yes, it was very much an elegant estate garden and boxwoods were well represented, but they were kept low. And when I look back at my pictures, it's the blue sky. I almost would describe it as Olmstead like vista views. Right, right. Because you look at them and it's like somebody thought about that because where the arbors were placed, it's not just the arbor and what was there, but beyond the arbor, which was mm-hmm. just the natural scenery of that area of Virginia. So she very well worked in the scenery around her into her garden views, which was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It was lovely that she was there as well, and, and she could kind of talk, speak to the garden, and that she was married in the garden when they first bought the house, and it was like very cool house built in 1790, like you mentioned, Jennifer. And you talk about the arbors. Not only were they, you know, located very well, you're right, but they, she also dressed all of them with a different type of plant material. So it really softened the view. And, uh, and definitely, and even though it was a large garden, there were so many little areas of intimacy, you know, little sitting areas, you know, little elevations. They kind of changed elevations, had like a little staircase here, an informal one. I'm looking at one picture of kind of like a courtyard, wall courtyard area. She had little vignettes of chairs in the corners. She had formal steps coming down through the wall, but then she had these informal kind of natural stone steps going back up to the second lawn area. It was really uh, done well and made, even though it was the vistas were huge, you kind of still felt like you were in a yard, in a garden. And I think that's, that's hard to do, right? One of my favorite pictures, as I'm looking at mine, is when you came around the side of the house, 
just as you were entering the perennial borders, if you look to the left, there was an arbor. You could sit mm-hmm. there. And you're right. She softened it with plant material. And looking at the plant material, you couldn't help but look at the view. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just kind of drew you in. You know, it's beyond the boxwood. That's what she should name her garden, beyond the boxwood. boxwood. (laughs) Love it. Well, Pam Pennick wrote a great post. In fact, I think this was the first post that she wrote about the garden bloggers playing this year. And she titled it English Garden in Virginia Horse Country. Of course, she had pictures of this gorgeous barn and then the house. And what she wrote under this caption of the house, she said, this woman and her husband bought the property not long after they were married in the 1970s. And when the owner decided to make a garden, she traveled to England to visit and study as many gardens as she could before starting her own. So clearly that had a huge influence on her, and it looks like she did a great job. The one picture that I see in Pam's post that was so captivating, and I know Tammy kind of teased us with this garden with this image as well, is that along the gravel path that's flanked by boxwoods, she had these two rabbits that were kind mm-hmm. of sentries along either side of the path. And I know Jen McGinnis, mm-hmm. a huge fan of rabbits, probably was going crazy. In fact, I know she said to Tammy, which garden has the rabbit statues? But this is the one. And it, and it looked like she had amazing statues throughout the garden. She's got a frog mm-hmm. playing a banjo. She's got this, mm-hmm. uh, looks like a wolf walking yeah, along fox, the wall. I think, on the, on the wall. Oh, the fox. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this that, yeah. that statue she was fantastic and and mm-hmm. so my goodness what a garden mm-hmm. yeah more it than was. a garden and a state garden tastefully done in the virginia countryside and once again mm-hmm. more than boxes <laughs> yes yes more than boxes Well, next up, you traveled to Hamilton, Virginia, and you got a chance to tour the garden of Ed and Pat Peters. This was a garden designed by landscape designer John McGee of McGee Design. John specializes in vibrant gardens and landscapes featuring only native plants. Ed and Pat's organic garden is a pollinator paradise packed with plants well adapted to the clay soil of Virginia and native to the southeast and mid-Atlantic. There were deep borders with a rain garden to attract and support wildlife. And then also Ken Walton of Blue Viper Sprayers was there. We all came home with a Blue Viper sprayer and Ken did a demonstration of his sprayer at this garden. Tracy, you want to kick it off and tell us your thoughts on this amazing native garden? Sure. Yeah, I love this garden. And I was kind of slow to kind of get going there. But when I really started to look closely at everything, it was amazing. Um, The plant material that they were using, such a vibrant, colorful garden. I think it shows what you can do with natives. They were actually kind of pushing the palette in some places, I noticed. They were growing some things like some Tunisians, right, in more sun than I would. And I thought, well, we'll see how that does. They had a plant there that I wasn't familiar with that I'd never seen in person, which was the cup plant. Yeah, Sophium purpleatum. Mm-hmm. My, my Latin mm-hmm. is Southern. You'll have to. <laughs> <laughs> Southern Latin. <laughs> and culver roots, some really unusual plant material. And the cup plant, interestingly, mm-hmm. as I read more about it, I'd never seen it in person. It was this huge statuous plant in the front. And then they had it more in the back with their grasses and ansonia. 
I asked him, had to ask what it was. I'm like, what is that? And she's like, cup plant. And I'm like, oh, I've never seen one in person. It's a native plant, but it's one of those plants where it's threatened in some states and it's invasive in other states, right? Mm-hmm. But it has a huge wildlife value. And so I was yeah. reading about it, how the leaves form like a cup and birds can drink water from the leaves. That's just one of the mm-hmm. many, many, many things that it's used for. So I thought that was an interesting choice of plant material that I haven't seen in a garden before like that. Um, and the cobra mm-hmm. root. Some people are afraid of that. And it was beautiful. Exactly. The white blended in with the orange and the yellows and the purples. And they had the butterfly it's, milkweed, which is the um, perennial of the year, the tuberosa mm-hmm. milkweed. I also noticed they had their sign that they were a certified wildlife habitat. So that was cool to see that there. And then in the back, you had beautiful corner with amsonias and the grasses. And you could just imagine in the fall how beautiful that was, too. It would be really fun to go back to to see it as everything even fills in more and matures more and, you know, how the palette might change over time. But it was a great, I think, example of a colorful native garden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I mean, again, being the designer where I'm also looking at plants and I thought uh, they did a fabulous job working with the house. You know, the house had like an indentation in the back of the house and that's often a really tricky space between like the entrance and a window and they created a pond in that mm-hmm. space and then had the patio go right to the pond and they had a beautiful sidestone patio with a nice sitting wall and I thought it was a really great use of space. It was a natural mm-hmm. pond as well. They didn't use chemicals in it. And the way it was mm-hmm. tucked and kind of really softened, because that's a lot of hardscaping. You know, you've got the patio and you've got the, the house, the way the two sides of the house came out. And then the kind of indentation mm-hmm. with a nice big window above it. I'm looking at that picture now. And so they did a great job. And I agree with Tracy, too. But a lot of people are scared of the cup plant, which I have in a client's garden down near Little Washington, Virginia, where we placed it. It can do its own thing. It definitely makes a great statement in the garden and a great screening tool as well. And the culver's roots, I remember in Master Garden, like, oh, it can be invasive. But what a great way in the midst of all that color, that beautiful stand of culver's roots kind of gave your eye a break. And then you moved on to the necklace of color. I have cup plant here. And what's interesting about cup plant is you guys are talking about how young and new this garden is. Well, cup plant is so aggressive and so strong in terms of its growth habit that in Mm -hmm. brand new cup plant, you can hardly tell that it's young or that it's just starting out because (laughs) it looks so robust right out of the gate. I mean, it's like a horse ready to just go. And so um, you're exactly right, Tracy, though. I have this cup plant. And the first time I got it, I actually got it off of a private sale that I had found on Craigslist. And I showed up to this garden. I was I was going to buy a cactus that was Minnesota Hardy. And then here's this cup plant that's taking over this garden. And it really can take over a space. So if you have it and it starts to get aggressive, you can just pull it out. It actually pulls out yeah. pretty easily. You can just break it down with your foot, snap it off like bamboo. It's mm-hmm. not bad. Yeah. But I'm telling you, each one of those little cups that's formed by the way the leaves come together on that plant It is absolutely spectacular to see it in the summer. The finches go crazy. That's where they drink. And it looks like a very 
tall, almost like a sunflower when it's blooming. Like people will drive by my garden and they'll think this area that I have it off on the side of my property, that it's some type of sunflower, but it's cup plant. It's something very distinct (laughs) and different. And it does spread, but I love to dig up a clump and share it with people because it's really magnificent. And then the Culver's root. It's so funny you're mentioning Culver's root because we have just talked about that in the listener community for the show because Jason and Judy from Garden in a City had just posted something about a Culver's root. I think that's purple that they fell in love with. And so that led other listeners to share their Culver's root. And for the most part, (laughs) reviews were very positive. People like Culver's root. And I have a smaller (laughs) specimen of Culver's root in my garden. And I, I love it. I don't have a problem with it being invasive in my garden. And, you know, the interesting thing is, I think we're starting to see weeds make a comeback, if you will. Because, you know, I mean, I noticed, I mean, really, I'm, weeds are making a comeback in the garden, right? I have a collection on plants called weeds or wildflowers, right? Because you could debate. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the gardens that were on this tour, I noticed plant material like the tall Rebecca. I saw that yeah. repeatedly. And we have that. And we love it. And that's a native. And then there was a verbena that was oh, that's a weed, but the way it was called tall verbena, the way they had (laughs) planted it among grasses in several gardens was beautiful. And guess Mm -hmm. what? I came back and bought one called Molly. Mm -hmm. And we just planted it. As soon as we, I mean, we set it in the yard and boom, the pollinators are on it. It's been a favorite of mine for years. And so lollipop is the shorter version, Mm -hmm. Tracy. Right. Yes. And so, yeah, it does. And so we were we were sitting somewhere and there was pokeweed all around. And I thought, you know, milkweed has made such a comeback, right? People <laughs> were afraid of milkweed. I'm like, mm-hmm. we're going to start a bring back the pokeweed. <laughs> I yeah, I've heard them say um, weeds in the, are in the eye of the beholder when it's a weed, right? Yeah. I actually left one weed in my garden during my open garden day and nobody mentioned it. No, And I was waiting for somebody to say, and it was in plain sight. It was huge. It was by my deck. Maybe Terry spotted it and said, I'm not going to say anything. Um, <laughs> but finally, Brett Heath did say something. We were talking to him later and he goes, yeah, I saw it. I said, well, what is it? I've been, I hope somebody could idea it. And he goes, oh yeah, it's mare's tail. And I read about it. I'm like, oh, it's a horrible thing. It's still there. And now it's been a magnet for aphids. So I don't know if it's a decoy plant for aphids or what, but I am going to have to go down for it, Steve. <laughs> I love it. Well, and you know, it's so funny year to year how your relationship or your perspective on weeds that are plaguing your garden can change. You know, some years you're going out of your mind. They're driving you absolutely crazy. And then this year I'm having a completely new relationship with some of the things that have been really bothering me in my garden. And I'm just learning that, hey, I'm going to give you a little space that you can call your own. And then I'm going to plant really really heavily in other areas that you just don't stand a chance. But year to year, that yeah. changes my own relationship with the weeds in my garden. Right. And those weeds are merely a plant out of place. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Well, and sometimes I feel, yeah, and sometimes I feel like mm-hmm. if I kind of back off on my intensity or my ire toward a certain weed, that they actually mm-hmm. kind of ease up as well. It's like we're in this battle otherwise, you know, and so it, sometimes it's great to just change your perspective. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys. Well, I tell you what, th- this was already a very full day, and yet you had one more destination. You were traveling to Meadowlark Gardens in Vienna. Virginia. 
and you had a chance before dinner to tour the gardens. This garden allowed you to explore 95 acres of ornamental display gardens. I'm sure you got through at least 90 acres before dinner. (laughs) (laughs) And you got to see many unique native plant collections at the Meadowlark Botanical Gardens. You discovered flora and fauna among lakes and forests and meandering walking trails, majestic views of the Piedmont Hills. You explored the Korean Bell Garden, maybe, I hope. I'd love to hear about that. Mm -hmm. And potentially paid a visit to their restored 18th century log cabin. Joanne, why don't you kick it off and tell us just how much of Meadowlark you were able to explore (laughs) before you had to go in for dinner. Well, I explored more than I meant to because I think I kind of got lost. But uh, (laughs) I have to say it was a lovely place to end. There was a lot to see, and and it was really nice to to kind of have a destination so eclectic, like the Korean Bell Garden, and to kind of just ponder there. You know, a few people went up, you know, the people were taking photos, engagement photos around the the bell and, and, and things like that. So that was kind of my favorite thing. How did everybody else fare? I know I only saw a corner of it because I'm a pollinator pusher. Give me gardens of pollinators. I'm going to pause. So I paused a lot. Even Tammy caught me (laughs) taking a video (laughs) because it was like, this is just gorgeous. That too is another garden that does not go to sleep. Every corner you turn, there is something that catches your eye in nature. Yeah, it was a wonderful place to end. I'm local, but I hadn't had a chance to visit there yet. And I came home and I said to my husband, we have to go back. We have to go back. And looking at the pictures last night, you know, kind of getting ready for today, I was I said, we have to go back there, and I have to share this to you. There is a conifer collection there. <laughs> and uh, what I noticed is when people come to Virginia, they say, the trees, the trees yeah. are gorgeous here. And I think this vista, along with the other estate garden, you see off in the distance these trees and the views mm-hmm. and how beautiful it is. And yeah, I've lived in different states and there's just something different about the trees in Virginia. It, they're just so mm-hmm. lush and there's, it's actually been studied by Virginia Tech that there's so much diversity of hardwoods mm-hmm. here. Um, we have a really long fall foliage season because there is such diversity of trees here. Meadowlark is described as, you know, a collection of lakes, forests, and meandering walking trails. So, yeah, you could get lost there, very tranquil. What Where I spent a lot of time was near the Daylily Garden. What I thought was interesting was that Daylily Garden was actually only the Stout Award winners. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with what that is, but the Hemercalis Society, the Daylily Society, the highest award that they give to a cultivar is the Stout Silver Medal Award. So every Daylily in that garden is a Stout Silver Medal winner. That is an interesting place to stop. And, of course, it was in peak bloom, so I took a lot of photos of that. Yeah, yeah. Because it really was like to be in the midst of of nothing but winners. How awesome is this? Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. You know, with regard to Meadowlark, Mm -hmm. 
Helen Battersby of Toronto Gardens shared this adorable picture of a little girl that was dressed up as a fairy. And apparently she was flitting around Meadowlark. I don't know if she was there just touring with her parents or what the story was there. But the garden bloggers got permission from her parents to take pictures because she looked adorable by, yeah, by the Nigella. She just looked absolutely adorable. Claire Jones shared a picture of Digitalis that she fell in love with at Meadowlark. And then, of course, there was a great picture of a group of garden bloggers that all had the same kind of hat that that they were wearing yeah. when they were touring. I don't think any of you guys were wearing this particular I hat. I don't know that I can, yeah. Well, I'm no. not a hat girl, so there, there, there's no way that was going to happen. But anyway, everybody looked adorable, and there was a picture that they took of everybody who was wearing the same kind of hat, all different colors. They just happened to bring it to the fling, and they took a picture at the atrium. So that brings us to the dinner that took place at the atrium. That was the last meal together. And then Lloyd Travern of Peace Tree Farms gave a presentation. And Peace Tree Farms is the creator of Phenomenal Lavender. And we were all sent home with this variety of lavender, their Phenomenal Lavender. Terry, do you want to talk to us a little bit about the dinner and then about Lloyd's presentation? Well, I would love to. Number one, the dinner was absolutely phenomenal. The Prima Caterers did the best job ever on that dinner. The salmon, the macaroons, mm-hmm. the salmon, the macaroons. <laughs> and then there were, there were vegetables, the pasta salad. But the salmon was just to die for. The macaroons were just divine. But that's just the on the, of the dinner. Everyone just kind of got together and hung out and chatted with new friends, made we familiarized themselves with old acquaintances. And some of the, the garden owners were there as well. So we got a chance to have a more intimate conversation with them. That was great. The setting, the atrium was just to die for. Surrounded by plants in this room, Lori had given us the phenomenal lavender the night before. And speaking of phenomenal lavender, I was at a historic estate in Maryland when I got my first phenomenal lavender. And I've watched this plant for three years. And it's like, this is the best thing ever. You can smell it before you see it. It grows with no care. (laughs) The worst thing you can do to it is mulch it. Unless you're mulching it with gravel, a light gravel, a fine sand. It does not care for mulch. But... It truly is a phenomenal plant. I can't say enough about it. I I would marry Phenomenal Lavender if I could. (laughs) (laughs) That's how passionate I am about this plant. It's gorgeous. Lloyd gave us a great talk about how we need to encourage each other, how we need to get above the curve in being garden bloggers, introducing people to new and different plants, and persuading people to grow better. His speech meant a lot to me. Yeah, he was a phenomenal speaker, and I think his slideshow was a little tricky because it was really bright where we were, so I was I was fortunate mm-hmm. to be closer to the screen. He made some hard points about the our industry, but he used it, he did it well with some great photos and some um, some catchy phrases, and it was good. But I thought it was very informative talk. I haven't had a chance to hear him speak before, and I know people talk about what a wonderful speaker he is. I was impressed. I, well, my takeaway was 
break out of the box. You might have to do something that you're not comfortable with because things are changing. Things are changing. Embrace change, embrace tech, embrace technology in the garden, embrace new media. How are you going to reach people and try new? And so like the podcasts are very popular. You know, try something you're not familiar with. I'm one of these folks who I used, I've been in a lot of membership organizations and we would say member get a member. And that's how I kind of think about bringing people into the world of enjoying horticulture. They don't have to own a shovel. If they just become members of Meadowlark and support Meadowlark or just go to their farmer's market or they become more aware of um, sustainable practices, in any small way. To me, it was like member get a member and you might have to do something new yourself to find how you're going to attract people and the next generation into gardening and horticulture. So, And I'm glad you brought up the next generation, Tracy, because we can be the spearhead people for the next generation, but we can't do it if we're scared of technology. We, we have to put fear aside. Fear is not real, mm-hmm. you know? Unless you're on a plane, Terry. <laughs> then fear <laughs> is real. Especially if you're on a plane with snakes, right? Yeah, <laughs> unless you're on a plane with snakes. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. I, you know, I always tell uh, folks, because I do a lot of gardening with kids, and I always say, I think one of my main jobs is to be a cool finder for kids in the garden and help them mm. attach to the really awesome, cool things that are happening in the garden. And even if it's just anecdotally, talking to them about different aspects of plants, and then they have the ability to go ahead and identify plants with that information. It's like ammunition for them in the garden. So I just started a new group of student gardeners in my garden. And one of the first things I do is I take them around and I introduce them very strategically to certain types of plants because we're building their plant vocabulary and their comfort level with plants. And I give them just enough information that they can start to play detective in the garden and they can't get enough of it. They absolutely love it. You know, I had to laugh, though. We we each went home with one of these phenomenal. And I believe you went home with mine too, and, right? And I went home with yours, Joanne. And I tell you what, I got both of them in a corner of my herb garden. I'm just tickled to death. So yeah, they, they look fantastic. But I had to laugh because Jane Finch Howell posted something in the Garden Bloggers Fling Facebook group about this lavender. And I kid you not, it got 27 comments. Here's what Jane wrote. She said, Allison Conliffe and I went through two completely separate TSA checkpoints and both of us had our Peace Tree Farm Lavender Phenomenal Plants wanded. 27 people shared their, oh my gosh, this is what I this is what I experienced trying to get through uh, security that with should, these plants. That should be a garden bloggers fling video, plants on a plane. <laughs> yeah, plants on a plane. Plants on a plane. Oh my gosh, it was so funny. Well, I tell you what, that was, that was a great wrap up to day three, ladies, and I want to talk just a little bit about about each of you individually as garden bloggers. I mean, we share this passion for plants, but then we're also garden communicators. We're garden writers. How did you become a garden blogger? Well, I'll start. Um, this is Joanne. So actually, mine is a solution for me because as a garden designer, landscape designer, I really strive. My tagline is down to earth and great landscapes start with a plan. But I really, most of my clients want beautiful gardens, but they want low maintenance gardens. And I need needed a tool to be able to help them with that. And it was impossible to keep as as my business started and it, we transitioned to email and then text messaging and then all of that. 
I couldn't keep up with the questions that they were sending my way. I quickly realized I needed to be proactive with the information, you know, this month, you know, cut this back and don't do this. And that might, you know, when I talk about don't put the garden to bed and this is the time of year to go in and prune things. This is when you divide things. I found that it was much more efficient for me to tell them what to do when versus responding to all the individual questions. So mine ended up really being from a practical point of view. And I actually do it in a newsletter form to my clients. And then I post those articles on my website. But I have great response from my clients. It's really helped me keep in touch with past clients. And when they've moved, you know, they still remember me and I, you know, can repeat to their new yard or their children's yards when their children are buying homes. I'm really helping helping people have uh, better gardens and uh, really get more from their experience. So, Well, and Joanne, you have a lot of great articles in your archive. Tell us the name of your blog and the unique way that you spell it, just so that people can find it. And then also explain how people can listen to past episodes of your excellent radio show. Oh, thank you very much. So it's downtoearth.ca with the number two is my website. And if you go under there, you'll see the blog in amongst the blog posts, um, which are a little bit behind schedule, but they're, they're getting there. I do have also my radio shows interspersed, or you can click on the menu on the right and just go to radio shows. So it's been great to interview people, much like you do on, on your podcast, Jennifer, you know, you're getting so much input from authors and other experts in other areas. And I think all of that goes to helping everyone. Um, so I and I learn a ton too. So it's great that I can have the the past episodes for listening on my website. All right, I'll go next. My blog title is Cottage in the Courts, where I write about all things beautiful. I go to Paris once a year, and I always go to Giverny because Monet just he got it. He he knew the beauty and the passion of gardens and how it would draw people in. So I'm about to go again, but I try to travel to review gardens anywhere and everywhere that fits my fancy and share with people how you don't have to have perfect soil, you don't have to have perfect lighting, but that does not mean you can't garden. Um, I am about to embark upon the podcast arena. There are many people in the communities that we live that are doing something great in the garden. Now, I have a young man that I'm going to be interviewing this weekend who realized that we live in a food desert in the next county over. So he has started this garden, and it is phenomenal. One man, one piece of land, and it's amazing what he has done. But it's more than him. There's so many people, even young people, that are trying to get this gardening thing started as far as my garden journeys go, I go anywhere and everywhere. And small groups to me are a great thing because you can have intimate conversation about what you're seeing or what you have seen. That's why I am starting this wonderful white glove gardening experience that will have its debut in 2018. Ooh, um, excellent. Yeah, yeah it. it's going to be fun and different. I started this blog thing from post-divorce. It was a way for me to help me find my voice, and it has helped me meet wonderful people like all of you guys. I became a member of Garden Writers to meet more wonderful people and mm-hmm. to travel and to find gardens of note and gardens that are under-known and under-visited. 
And so those are the kinds of equations that I want to share with more and more people. That's great. Love it. <laughs> All right, Tracy. Sherry and I have a lot in common because part of what we're doing with PlantsWeb.com is allowing people to find and discover those unusual gardens and landscapes and for them to fully tell their story through their plant material so that their plants actually kind of become their own docents for themselves. The website that I started with two other folks is plantsmap.com. It's P-L-A-N-T-S-M-A-P.com. I don't really consider myself a garden blogger because I hate to write. But I take copious notes. I take a lot of photos and I save a lot of information and I wanted to store it all somewhere and there wasn't any place that I could store it all. I used to use binders. So when I started my first garden and this is going to tell me, tell my age, you take a picture, you take it to Walmart and get it developed and you bring <laughs> pictures off. <laughs> <laughs> And you put your picture of your fern in your book. So like, Joanne, it was, it, it was all kind of started out of necessity of record keeping. And, you know, I use a quote a lot in my emails, which I think was Andy Tomalonis, who was a garden writer, who said, a gardener's best knowledge is from previous seasons. And the rest of it was, and a $2 notebook, but now I use plants map. So that's, that's really the purpose is for people to document and record the photos with the notes, with the details, with reference links to other people. Like Jim McGinnis just shared a great recipe that even I could do with garlic scapes. And I'm not a cook, but I love to grow garlic. And I usually just clip those off and throw them away. She had a recipe, so I saved her link to my garlic collection on Plants Map. It allows people to digitally archive and share with other people their growing experiences. We kind of came up with Plants Map so that you could keep it all together in one place and you can mm-hmm. learn from other people. And it was an educational outreach tool. And it, it's become extremely popular among landscapes that have educational outreach. So, mm-hmm. Love it. Well, once the fling is over, you have to re-enter the real world, and there are so many photos to go through, so much literature, so much stuff from the swag bag. I'm very curious what you guys do to handle all of the post-activity that happens after a fling. What do you do with all that stuff? How do you organize it, catalog it, save it, write about it? What do you do? What's your process? You first take the day off of work. <laughs> Good I job, had to Terry. come back and go right back into gear at work. But I took yeah. the day off. I could organize my pictures from the fling and get them in some type of order before I go to the garden practice conference so that I can casually write about them now, but then amp up the volume on it over the winter months because a lot of people are not reading right now because they're mm-hmm. in the garden. So I want to make sure that over the winter, I can hopefully encourage someone to start planting their garden for next year or grow that odd plant. So that's, I think the day off to recognize my stuff now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say, I'm still struggling a bit. I did jump on the photo sorting just because I knew I would forget. So I sat in front of, I think I was watching the ball game with my son and I was downloading the photos. And I wish with I had the itinerary in front of me and some of Tammy's tip, one of her first tips was to take it before you get off the bus to take a picture of the, you know, where garden mm-hmm. you're supposed to be. And I so wish I did that. So I really struggle with some of them trying to remember which was that Scott's garden, was that Jeff's garden, like really trying to remember. And I, I'm hoping mm-hmm. I got it all correctly. So I definitely have to improve that next year. I've gone through the swag bag a little bit. I've used a few of the tools that we were given generously. 
Cobra and Corona. Oh, yeah, Corona. 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 Yep. Thank you. Corona. I've used them because I've kind of flown back into my work season. So I haven't had a moment to kind of go through in detail yet. (laughs) So what I do is we have a tool on PlantsMap. It's a collections tool. And you can use the photo gallery feature of the collections tool to share landscape visits. It was initially built to kind of help you organize your own plants, like, and you can do it however you want. Like some people do it by their bed. Some people do it by a walk. Some people do it by flower color or by annuals, perennials, vegetable garden, whatever. But you can also use it for places that you visit. And that's what I do is I started a collection called Garden Bloggers Fling. And then took some photos for that photo gallery. And then I made a sub collection and I started with the public garden. So there's a sub collection for each of the public gardens we visited with a little write up about them. And then my favorite photos that kind of, I thought best told the story of my visit experience to that garden. Now I'm going back through and I've done the ash garden and the cat's garden. And then I'll go through now and do the, the other private gardens. But that's what I like to do because then I can share it with the world. So other people can see it. And I can share it out to our plants map social media too. So I can share it and people can see what Meadowlark Botanical Garden visit was like on June, you know, 24th or whenever we were there, 25th. And I sometimes will highlight, you know, like the plant material that I see there too. So that's how I do it. Plants map is my organizing tool. Yeah, that's great. Well, and I love that you're using a plants map as an archive tool as well. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right, gals, you know, it's not enough just to spend time writing a fantastic garden post on your blog. And we all know how time consuming that can be. We also have to use social media to promote our mm-hmm. posts. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on social media. I jump on it as much as I can, especially being one person. And I'm definitely a one-woman one show here. I tweet when things hit me. I post on Facebook for people in, I think, the mature age group. For the younger generation, they're living more by tweets. They're living more by Instagram. I cannot do Snapchat. It doesn't linger. I like things that linger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I just get on it as much as you can. That's that's my take on it. Yeah, and I agree with Carrie. I like things that linger, and that was one of the reasons the way we built Plants Map. It has social media aspects to it, and it was built to work with social media, so it can become the cloud-based archive of your plants and your collections, and then those are built so that they work and share well with. Twitter and work and share well with Facebook. So I use Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn, Google Plus, and Instagram. And so, but Plants Map is where I host it. And then with one button, I share it out to all of those at one time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And part of what I'm about is, again, I look for kind of a theme for a day. And then I try to find people who have plant material that tie to that theme that day. And what I really love is sharing stuff that isn't mine. Mm-hmm. So I, I share our stuff, but really my my goal with Plants Map is to get the word out about these unusual plant collections that mm-hmm. people may not be aware of. And so that's how I use it is with in conjunction with social media. Now, my Instagram is much more personal because I don't like to reshare other people's content on Instagram. I think it should mm-hmm. be yours. 
So usually that's either photos from Bill or I. <laughs> it's from either my account or Bill's account. Or when we get an opportunity to go visit one of our landscapes in person, and we'll take pictures and share it um, on there. But but yeah, that's like, I don't know how many people know Brent Becky's Bulbs has display gardens, gorgeous mm-hmm. educational display gardens. So they just had a profile, and that's what they want to help communicate is to come and learn through their display gardens there. And it's not just what they sell through their catalogs. So it's, mm. it's really cool. Yeah, that's great wow. functionality. Tracy. Yeah, it, it is challenging. I mean, I'm, uh, I struggle with it every day. So there's some days that I'm on it, and then there's some days where I've, I'm, I'm enjoying other people's posts, and then I think, oh, my goodness, I haven't posted anything in a while. But <laughs> I think you just have to do myself, you know, so you have to just do the best you can do. It, it is a challenging thing, especially being a business as well. So, like, I, I'm, I have the personal side and the things I want to share, and then there's mm-hmm. things to promote. It, it's really a delicate balancing act. Well, why don't we close by having you talk about where we can find you online and then what, if any, upcoming events you have? All right, I'll chime in. Um, this is Joanne Shaw. You can find me on my website, downtoearth.ca with the number two. All my uh, social media links are there, but I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and Pinterest as well. So that's the best way to find me. Or if you're interested, please check out my uh, radio show. So it's on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You go to the website realityradio101.com and you will find me there. And it's just a casual conversation. It's a great show, just a relaxed environment where I continue to share down-to-earth practical tips and advice to my uh, listeners. And I am going to kind of do a little recap on this coming Monday show as well on the fling. I wanted, I shared with my listeners that I was going on the trip. And so I wanted to just give them a, a tidbit of what, what I loved about it. So, yeah, so that's me. That's great. <laughs> Love it. This is Tracy Blevins. And again, I'm on plantsmap.com and I have my own profile. And you can just search Tracy Blevins and you'll easily find me in the community. I'm going to actually plug some events from our community members because we have a tool to make event pages on PlantsMap. And a couple of these folks have been uh, very early adopters. And one is the Samuel P. Capen Garden Walk, which will be July 15th. That's in the Buffalo, New York area. Also, we've been a sponsor of Garden Walk Buffalo, which is coming up July 29th and 30th this year. Um, That's also in Buffalo, New York. That is an awesome event if you can make it up to Garden Walk Buffalo. And tying to that is we're in the Garden Riders Association, and they're going to be kind of tagging on to that event this year. And their annual conference is going to be kind of towards the end of that event. So we'll be attending that at the beginning of August. We're also going to the American Conifer Society National Meeting in Syracuse coming up in the end of August. But this weekend, I'm going to a Hanover Tomato Festival, if you're in Virginia. And next weekend, I'm going for the first time to the Water Lily Festival at Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens, which I hear is phenomenal. I haven't been there yet. So, And we have all those social accounts under Plants Map. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Google Plus, Pinterest. <laughs> so you can run into me lots of places. Oh, that's great. <laughs> More than you want, maybe. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. All right, Terry, what do you got for us? Well, Tracy, we'll be running into each other a couple times. <laughs> uh, uh, the Buffalo Garden Walk, I'll be up there with the Garden Writers Association. We have our annual meeting coming up that I am uber excited about. I've been walking and training for that. 
But closer to home, there is a festival in Richmond, Virginia, that focuses on uh, garden art. That should be fun. I'm going to probably make it down there this weekend. It's called a Wild Art Exhibit at the Lewis Ginter um, Botanical Garden in Richmond. It started May 26th. It goes to October 1st. They have flowers after five on Thursday nights down there as well. I go anywhere there's a garden. People can find me um, on Twitter. I am Cottage in Court. On Facebook, Cottage in the Court. My website is Cottage in the Court. And once again, the podcast should start this weekend. And that's going to be an exercise in patience and cultivating a good sense of humor in the garden. So that's me in a nutshell. That's fantastic. Well, ladies, I can't thank you enough for being on today's show. The recap of day three of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling in D.C. And it was so fun to relive it with all of you. So thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, you're welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having us. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Jennifer. It was fun. It was great meeting you in person. Likewise. Likewise. Have a great, great weekend. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye bye. Well, that's it for our show today featuring my fellow garden bloggers and our review of day three of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling. I hope you enjoyed learning all about the private gardens of Tammy Schmidt, Linda Hostedler, the Middleburg Estate Garden, the Ed and Pat Peters Garden designed by John McGee, as well as Maryfield's Garden Center, the beautiful property surrounding the Stone Tower Winery, and the amazing public garden, Meadow Lark gardens. I'm so thankful to have been joined by fellow garden bloggers Terry Spate of cottageinthecourt.com, Joanne Shaw of downtoearth.ca, and Tracy Blevins of plantsmap.com. I want to thank my team at Podfly Productions, Eric Begay, my fabulous editor, Ein Kadena, Ein puts together all of the wonderful show notes for every single episode, and my project manager, David Gregerson. Just a reminder, I'll have all of the information that was shared on the show today under the still growing podcast page on my website over at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. Don't forget, I'm launching a number of three-month mastermind opportunities, and I would love to have you join me in one of those. They'll be starting up in September. One is for garden communicators, and the other one is for industry professionals. So if you're interested in that, head over to my website and click on the tab, Work With Me, for more information and to apply. I'd also like to thank the fabulous women on my listener advisory board, Beth Engel, Denise Pugh, Denise gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine, Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens based out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson, and Peggy Ann Montgomery of American Beauty's Native Plants, and I certainly hope you're working to incorporate some into your 2017 garden. 
Well, pop the champagne. We're all done with the Garden Bloggers Fling for this year. Next year will be the 10-year anniversary of the Garden Bloggers Fling, and it's going back to where it all began in lovely Austin, Texas, and the entire endeavor is being spearheaded by none other than Pam Pennick, the woman who started it all, and Pam will be joining me along with her committee members for a show later on this fall, and we'll talk all about this up coming fling. So if you're interested in attending, get started on your garden blog. Join one of my masterminds and that will help you get going and then come to Austin. It's going to be a wonderful experience and it'll be happening in May of 2018. I'm already looking forward to it. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow.